Scripture reading comes from Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. It's Matthew 5, 33 through 37. It reads, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is by God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. This morning we'll spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 23, and start in verse 16. It is the second part of a lesson I started two weeks ago on the woes, and I entitled the lesson, Woe to You and Woe to Me. Now, it doesn't need to be woe, because woe is calamity or things that could come upon us that are not good. But we can avoid those things by simply following what God instructs us to do, and that's why I pray for each of us today. We know that throughout the Gospels that Jesus had interaction with the Pharisees and scribes and warned them. And so I want to cover two passages to help us set the rest of the context for Matthew 23. The first is in Matthew chapter uh, 5. And it says in verse 20, this concerning the Pharisees. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And we talked last time two weeks ago about the fact that What the Pharisees and scribes were teaching, some of the things should have been followed. They should have been good under the old law. But they were hypocritical. And because of their hypocrisy, and we had Luke just read the passage from Matthew 5 about oaths. That's going to play a key in today's lesson. And the fact that they put the emphasis on things, traditions they made up, or minor pieces of the law, while ignoring the weightier matters of the law. Do we know, for example, that we could attend... As we're supposed to, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. We could assemble and not forsake the assembly of the saints. But if we neglect the weightier matters, for example, we don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't love our neighbors ourselves. Then even though we're following those other things, which are important and necessary, but we neglect the weightier matters, we are in danger. And so I want us to put ourselves in the position... Not of, well, those are just Pharisees and scribes, I'm going to judge them. But how does this apply to us? And can we be hypocritical in the same types of things? Another passage very quickly, Matthew chapter 15. We're going to see this several times today about blind guides. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 12. It says, Then his disciples came came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying. So we talked about the fact last time two weeks ago that in this public discourse, Jesus is going to say things which are true, which people consider very harsh, straight, direct talk and instruction they can respond to. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 15, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And we know that in the world society, we have this phrase, the blind leading the blind. So I want us to think about from the perspective of not just the leader, 
But we cannot blindly follow. As we point out last time, and Paul talks about in Philippians, we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We are responsible. So this morning, where Stuart did a good job in class, laid us through Acts, imagine that if people didn't follow the instruction that Paul gave them, they put their own lives at risk as well as the lives of others. That obedience was required, as Stuart and Alvaro and others pointed out during that lesson. Now let's get to the text, the primary text again. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 23. I'm not going to review the other ones. You're capable of reading those before that we covered two weeks ago. But we're on the fourth woe here, as several of these woes were uh, told to the Pharisees and scribes. Matthew 23, starting in verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Now, stopping there, how many people would be offended by this? And Jesus is not name-calling. We know that we can be held accountable if we call others a fool. He's based it on their actions. And again, their destructive influence that they're having on others. Verse 18, And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, there it is again. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore he who swears by the altar, swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So in their own foolish leadership, their blind leadership of the people, they were saying that you did not have to uh, keep uh, certain things, but keep others. They were making up their own rules, their own traditions. We know going back to what we talked about previously, two weeks ago, that they were teaching some good things. So remember, going back to the beginning of Matthew 23, verse 1, then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. So they were teaching some things that are accurate. But then it says, But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the men's shoulders. But they themselves do not move a finger, uh, move them with one of their fingers. So again... And so I want you to see here in, in these verses that Jesus is reasoning with them. He's getting them to think about what they're doing. By asking these questions, um, you know, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Well, God is the one who demands both. So they're important to God, so they should both be important. Uh, and then with the temple, uh, he who swears by the temple swears by it and by it, uh, by him who dwells on it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits on it. So it, it's, it's important for us to recognize that it's not just a matter of picking and choosing. It's a matter of being completely obedient to what God wants. Now remember that in the context of this passage, we're not required to do the things under the old law. So for example, we're going to talk about tithing in a moment. We know that we are responsible to give back a portion on the first day of week where no one's supposed to be cheerful givers 
But I want you to think about that as they're talking about how detailed they were in certain things while ignoring the bigger uh, uh, things that take place there. So the emphasis should be on respecting God. The emphasis, it's sort of like in Romans chapter 1 and the mistake that men can make by worshiping the creation and not the creator. The creation is evidence of the creator and therefore should cause us to uh, give praise to him. So that's a woe there and that's what they were doing. And that's not something that God commanded that they do, that they put the emphasis on what was being offered or, or putting emphasis on things above the altar or the temple as we see there. Okay, let's go to the next section starting in verse 23. The next woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you paid tithe and mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters? Justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to what? These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And then again we see the, this phrase, blind guides. Now, now this illustration strikes home. Who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You ever have a particle or something and something you were drinking, water or whatever, and it's like, if you're like me, you just throw the whole thing out, right? You just take it out and drink, you just toss the whole thing out. But yet they swallow an entire camel. And a similar principle is given to us in places such as Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. In verse 1, this is about judgment. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? This tiny little speck. But you do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. And then in verse 5 of that passage is a word that we've used several times in Matthew 23. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So it's the same type of principle there. They're straining out this tiny little gnat, but they're swallowing a camel, which again, this is imagery, this about how impossible this would be and how obvious this would be. And so again, if we're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, so while I attend, check, I, I, I was in attendance, but we know that we can be held accountable. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the group there in Corinth was being held accountable for particular Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. They were partaking of it. What was the problem? Their mindset was not right. They were forgetting of what the purpose was for the Lord's Supper. So Paul gives us detailed instruction there as to what the problem was and what they are supposed to do. Can we neglect the important things? Can we, for example, not... Do love and good works for our brethren. Reach out to them. We know that that's required. We're required to love one another. We're required to watch out over one another. Well, we know that in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, when Jesus, addressing the church at Ephesus, said this, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now remember, if you look at Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus was praised for resisting evil. 
and fighting against false teaching. So they were doing some good things. But they had left their first love. That's an illustration of the very same thing that's being talked about by Jesus in Matthew 23. So it's not as just being religious to uh, check off things on a list of, of things. We have to make sure that those things that we're required to do serve the greater things that God wants us to do. To be a true disciple of His Son Christ. Of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Of loving our neighbor as ourself. That we're required to do those types of things. Remember that it says, these you ought to have done. So again, these are things that they could have kept doing. But uh, still having done it um, without leaving the others undone. Now, uh, Farrell Jenkins uses an illustration here because when you go back and look about what it talks about with the mint, anise, and cumin, and we know about, for example, uh, the fact that they're required in the old law to tithe a certain percentage. So if you took these tiny seeds, and, and, and these are herbs that are used for cooking and medicinal and all these things, and you count it out, you ever have really tiny seeds? Imagine having to count out ten, and for every ten you pull one off to the side to, to dedicate to God. That, that takes a lot of effort, a lot of detailed work, doesn't it? So that's what they were doing. They were going through that process, but they, they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law. The things are obvious to them. Including the fact that right in front of them, who's talking to them? Jesus the Messiah, who was prophesied, and we're going to bring up the prophets in a few moments here, who was prophesied to them, and they had an opportunity to respond to. Imagine that they were, they were uh, not only neglecting and ignoring what he was doing, but they were fighting against him when all this evidence was right in front of them. So, so can we do that too? We were so focused on the small, minute details and that we neglect the, the weightier ones, the ones that are more important. Okay, the next woe, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There's that phrase again. And we talked about two weeks ago how Jesus in the modern religious world is often portrayed in a certain way. This is him speaking here. Just like Jesus is speaking on the Sermon of the Mount. And if you read those passages, there's a lot of judgment there. And Jesus does it because he wants people to repent. He wants people to turn away because he knows what the consequence. That's what the woe is. Sort of like we talked about this morning when Paul says, You should have listened to me. If you didn't sail where I told you not to, we wouldn't be in the circumstance. And so I think there's an important lesson there too about the fact that when we sin, when we make a mistake, it's important for us to go back and think about how we could have avoided that. And that's why I think Paul, in what we studied this morning in class in Acts, starts off that way. He's going to give them information that an angel appeared to him and told them, you know, this was going to work out if they did, did what they were supposed to do. But he wanted to revisit the fact if they would have followed his instruction in the first place, they wouldn't be in that circumstance. So, so the same type of thing is taking place here. So woe to you, verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish. But inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Here it is again, the, the phrase blind. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be also clean. So he's not saying again, ignore the outside and don't cleanse it. But the inside is where it's got to start. It's got to start first. And this is about image. How does this apply to us? 
On the outside, do we have an image that we want portrayed before people? But remember that God knows our heart. And if we're not right in our thoughts, if we're not right internally, then eventually it's going to manifest itself. So it's not just about image. It's not putting it on a show. Remember back to what we talked about earlier in Matthew 23. What did the Pharisees and scribes like? They liked to be seen by men. They liked to be honored. They liked to be called rabbi. They, they liked to sit in the best places. All those types of things. They were more interested in image as opposed to what God wants from us, which is change. He wants us to change and become more like Him and more like His Son. Uh, so, an image does not mean anything because God knows all. So, we cannot play a game. We're going to be held accountable. And remember that, again, back to the Sermon on the Mount... I want to point this out to you real quick. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 again. Because remember, these are individuals here who consider the, the, what to be themselves religious. It says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And remember that we talked about last time that uh, the Pharisees and scribes, when they were converting people uh, to Judaism... They weren't doing it for their benefit that would lead them into the kingdom of heaven. But actually it would do the opposite. It would make them sons of hell of what, according to what Jesus would say. They'd become loyal to a faction. Now look at verse 22 of Matthew 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? So they're putting their emphasis on some works that they did, right? But what does Jesus, how does he respond to them? Verse 23. And then I will declare them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who what? Practice lawlessness. So they wanted credit for the things that can be seen and done. But they are practicing lawlessness and they are held accountable for it. Again, we have to change from the inside out. We have to recognize that God knows everything that we're thinking and doing. Now, to make this, again, appearance about inward versus outward... Jesus gives another illustration here, starting in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully, beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So even if mankind judges to be righteous, God knows what the truth is. And if we're playing a game, and that's what a hypocrite is. Remember the Greek, it's being an actor. You are portraying one thing while you're actually an entirely different thing. So these whitewashed tombs, they look so beautiful on the outside, but full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Let's take a moment to get that imagery in there and what it would look like. Uh, another illustration example I would think of is I, I saw this uh, car, classic car and it looked terrific and beautiful and then when you went up to it, it didn't have an engine in it so, so the, the body and appearance looked wonderful but in terms of using it, you, you couldn't even run there was no engine in it it was just all an image that was being portrayed you think about, for example, props that they'll use in movies and television shows, right? and, and, and they make props look realistic but they're of, of no actual use to anyone because they're fake. And, and again, 
We cannot afford to fool ourselves and play the game of hypocrisy. We need to see ourselves and know that God knows all. And He knows our thoughts. And we need to make sure that we recognize that. And that's why David, when he recognized his sin, he repented to God first because he knew that that relationship was first and foremost. If we take care of that, then everything else will fall into line if we're humble and obedient. Verse 29, the the next woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. So they're trying to act like they're honoring these prophets. Well, we are studying Jeremiah right now. And before that, we studied Isaiah. And after we get through Lamentations, which shouldn't take very long, we'll get to Ezekiel. What did all these prophets do? They pointed towards Christ the Messiah. So they should have listened to them. We talked about the rich man and Lazarus and the response that was given that uh, it was told by Abraham that as uh, the rich man wanted to go back and warn family members, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So they're saying, oh, if we were around, we wouldn't have done these things that our, our forefathers did. Well, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. So on the outside, they're making it look like they honor the prophets. And remember the emphasis they put on Moses and Abraham and how Jesus corrected them. For example, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And he talked about, if you had followed them, you would have accepted me. Those types of things. If I were in this situation, what arrogance and bragging on their part. As if somehow they would have done something different. But we know what they would have done because we saw it in action. We know that because of the way that they treated and responded to Christ, that he's going to be uh, arrested, put through false trials, and then crucified. So they did not only what their forefathers had done, but they had done the equivalent, if not worse, because they had all the information leading up to it. Can we do the same thing? Can we ignore what the scriptures tell us about the Messiah and about Christ and about putting God first? So then we go to verse 31. Therefore you are witnesses against yourselves, that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Now this doesn't mean that they're responsible for what their fathers did specifically. We can take a look at uh, the lessons that Brother Bob has done recently, and passages that the sins of the father aren't passed on to the son. But they were practicing the same things. They were following the same example that their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers, various generations, had done it before. And here, again, is a thing that's not very politically correct. Look what Jesus calls them in verse 33. Serpents, brood of vipers. And you might recognize that John the Baptist said similar types of things when some of those who thought they were religious were coming out to be baptized. Because he knew what their intent was. They were just all about image. They weren't about real change. So one of the major messages this morning is on the weightier matters and on the fact that we have to be about the change that God wants us to make. Not about trying to please and put on a false image. Because, again, if we do that, it can actually be more damaging. The religion of the Pharisees and scribes, which should have been beneficial, was actually doing more damage because they were emphasizing 
things that weren't as important to God. And they also added in their own tradition. And these traditions had become the things that they were trying to emphasize. So in verse 33, serpents, brood of vipers. Now if you think that's judgmental, look what Jesus says next. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? In other words, they're already condemned based on what they're doing. That's why woe is said over and over again. Because that's where they're headed. Now did they have the opportunity to do something about it? They certainly did. But in the current mindset that they were in, in, in the rejection of what Jesus was teaching them, they were ignoring the opportunity to save themselves. Verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. So notice how different, different ways to communicate to them. In other words, the emphasis on information. Information was being sent to you that could save yourselves and, and, and not condemn you to hell. Some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. So clearly he's referencing not only what's going to happen to him, but we've been reading about Paul and others and how they've been treated, uh, treated trying to spread the gospel. And the same faction that existed then is going to continue on and, and, and do the same things and persecute those who are bringing God's truths forward. Verse 35, that you may come... That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel. And we know that Abel was killed by his brother Cain. And, and Abel didn't do anything wrong. And then notice this. To the blood of Zechariah. And we studied Zechariah some time ago. Son of Berechiah. Whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. You know, so again, there's some prophets like... You know, what exactly happened to Jeremiah, Isaiah, things like that. We're told specifically here what happened to Zechariah. He was murdered. What was he murdered for? For prophesying, for teaching, for preaching what God wanted him to. And, and so again, we, we hear the phrase about shooting the messenger. In this case, we literally have prophets being killed. And then verse 36. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And that's why the woes are given. So I, I reference John the Baptist. It says in Luke chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 7, Then he said to the multitudes he came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers. So you, you think of, of snakes and vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And we know about the scene in the garden about the serpent who was Satan uh, tempting Adam and Eve. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? This question that Jesus asked. And it's a serious question that we all need to ask ourselves. We know the way. It's through Christ. We know the way. It's by being obedient. We know the way. It's by changing. Not being hypocritical. But allowing our minds and hearts to be changed and become true disciples of Christ as God had intended. Then we end this chapter as we're about to close here. In verse 37. And, and remember how this fits into what we've been studying in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah we're to the point, and Brother Alvaro taught the last two weeks and has done a fine job. And the emphasis that they went to Egypt and they're still going to be held accountable. Because at that point Jerusalem had been destroyed. The Babylonians had come in. The temple had been completely destroyed. And yet in this time, people are ignoring history. They're repeating the same mistakes that their forefathers did. 
So it says in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Repeat it twice. And I want you to see the compassion. We, we see that Jesus has been direct here. Calling out hypocrisy, calling out blindness and leadership. But, but, but think about, again, his compassion here. His love. The way he wanted them to respond to it. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. And, and one thing you automatically think of is Acts chapter 7 when Stephen's being stoned. And Paul was there witnessing that. And, and, he, and Paul, of course, was Saul at the time. And he's going to change the result of that. So the behavior is going to continue even after Christ is gone. Even today there are those who are going to deny the cross. And are going to persecute. To what ends? Why does it surprise us that people get so offended by what the Bible says and teaches? People have always been offended. And they've taken it to all sorts of lengths, including the killing and murder of other people. But notice what Jesus says. How often I want to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So the Pharisees and scribes were not willing, even though they were intelligent, they were smart, they knew the scriptures. But because of their pride, because of their lack of humility, because they wanted what they wanted, they had become evil. And they were unwilling to change, they were not willing. And that includes the Jews in general as a reference to all Jerusalem. Because those who followed the, spirit, the leaders, the Pharisees and scribes, were also held responsible. Verse 38. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, he's going to physically leave soon and be crucified. But their only way to have a relationship is to recognize that he was the Messiah. And that's going to be manifest very soon. It was already witnessed. He talks about all the witnesses that proved who he was. But certainly the fact that he's going to soon be crucified and resurrected is going to provide the evidence that he indeed was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. So what I want us to do for just a moment is to take this as a warning. That we look at the end. That we see the potential calamity and judgment if we do not respond to the gospel. If we do not follow the commandments of God. If we do not repent, that's when we have an advocate in Christ. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be, woe to me, woe to you, woe to us, if we simply follow what God has left and trust in the fact that His Son gives us an opportunity to be cleansed from all our sin. And even when we make a mistake in the future, that we're going to repent and recognize that we're forgiven, but that we're going to strive to learn from that and to turn and to do better, that we might continually mold and change ourselves in the way that God wants us to change. As it says in uh, Romans chapter 12, we need to be not conformed to this world, but transformed by renewing of our minds. And we have the opportunity to do that now. If you're here this morning and you've not responded to the gospel, this is an opportunity. And if you don't know what the gospel is, you don't know what's required, we'll be more than happy to communicate with you about what the Bible clearly teaches. We have to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. We have to re recognize that we're in sin and repent from those sins. 
And we have to be baptized for remission of sins. But then that's not enough. If we go through that process, but we don't change, we don't become who God wants us to be, then it could be in vain. And that was the religion of the Pharisees and scribes, these religious leaders. And as followers, we have to make sure we're following the correct thing and not following blind guides who are going to lead us in a direction that is not going to be beneficial for us, but actually destructive to us. But if you have a need this morning, if you need something that you need to confess, if you need prayers for something you're going through, that's what we're here for. And we invite you to come recognizing that Jesus was sent to save us as we stand and we sing.